Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 147 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Hey, a a very happy 4th of July to all the U.S. listeners who are listening today. Hope whatever you're doing, it's a great one. And uh, hey, to all of us uh, who happen to be Canadians, happy 150. We celebrated over the last weekend. And uh, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario. And one of my favorite things, I don't know if they still do it or not, Detroit, uh, Windsor people, you can shout out on social and let me know. But I think they called it the Freedom Festival. And every like July 1st, July 4th, they'd get a barge in the Detroit River and do this spectacular uh, fireworks show. And we never missed that when I was a kid. So we would always be on the Windsor side, but people from Detroit would gather too. So always fun to celebrate what God's doing in North America. So anyway, happy 4th of July, happy 150th birthday, Canada, um, to all of you. And hey, today we're going to talk about something that we kind of cracked open last week with Rodney Cox, and that is self-awareness. And my guest is Terry Linhart, and he's got his own podcast. He's actually a podcast listener, and he's written a book called The Self-Aware Leader. And I am so grateful he, he wrote this because I know for me, a big part of my journey as a leader in terms of, you know, growth over the last 20 years is I've had to grow in emotional intelligence and the heart of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. And the more self-aware I become, the better husband I become, the better father I become, the better boss I become, the better leader I become. And when I turn a blind eye to all that stuff, well, it doesn't go so well. So I think you're really going to enjoy this, and we're going to get into that shortly. Um, Hey, I just want to thank all of you who continue to share the good news about this podcast. We are on a massive growth curve this year, and um, that is because you are sharing it on the socials. That's because you're leaving ratings and review. And here's what you could do. We're celebrating our countries this week, but if you love this podcast and you haven't rated it yet or you haven't subscribed, would you do that? Would you just hit subscribe? It's free wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. And if you haven't left a rating yet on your favorite podcast provider, would you do that today? That would be just a huge gift. And I'd be so grateful for that um, because you're going to let other leaders know about it. Hey, speaking of things to know about, Um, how are you training your volunteers these days? Like, uh, what do you do for that? Do you still sort of rely on the old-fashioned method of trying to get everybody in the room? Because that can be difficult, particularly in the summer. And trainedup.church has got a really innovative approach where instead of bringing your volunteers to training, they bring the training to your volunteers. They're an online portal that would work with a church of any size, um, to train your volunteers. In fact, if you're like a small church and you're like, well, we, you know, we don't even have trainers for our volunteers, they do that. They do that. You can check out their package for that at trainedup.church. If you're a large church, you know, sometimes it can still be complicated to get everybody in the same room. And you may not want to set up the whole mechanism for online training at your church. Uh, they've done it for you. So you can do your own training or uh, they will even do it for you. So either way, Check out trainedup.church. They are a great partner to this podcast, and they're helping so many churches do a better job 
of training their volunteers. And guess what? There's no better time than right now because fall is coming. Yes, we don't want to think about it, but uh, your big open is coming up in August or September or October, depending on what part of the nation you live in. And uh, you want to have all your volunteers ready for that, don't you? Also want to thank the Unstuck Group. They've come on board as a partner with this podcast too. And some of you will remember Tony Morgan. Tony Morgan um, has been on this podcast a couple of times. Most recently, he was on with, actually, it turned out to be one of the best downloaded episodes of all time, episode 140. And you definitely want to go back if you missed that one and listen to it. But he runs the Unstuck Group. And one of the things Tony is so passionate about, and I share his passion in that, is getting churches unstuck. So how do you know whether your church is stuck? Or how do you know even how healthy your church is? Well, um, in his new book, The Unstuck Church, he talks about seven stages in the life cycle of a typical church. And if you want to know where your church is in terms of that life cycle, check out theunstuckchurch.com and get the free Unstuck Church assessment. You can do that individually or get your whole team to do it to get a more accurate picture. Um, it's absolutely free. Go to theunstuckchurch.com. Make sure you click on the Unstuck Church assessment. You can take that for free, figure out where your church is at. Of course, all the links to all of our partners are going to be in the show notes. And a lot of people say, like, where do I find the show notes? So go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. That's my website. And you can click on blog because you'll actually see the show notes in the blog section. Or if you're listening to this episode, you know, you just type in the name of the guest, which is Terry Linhart. You just type that in and you'll see a little search window at the top right. And that's how you find all that goodness. So uh, that's where you'll find it. And listen, thanks so much for listening. We're going to jump right into my conversation with author Terry Linhart. Terry, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, uh, I, I, I got to ask you, <laughs> self-awareness is a huge issue for leaders. And you just released a new book, The Self-Aware Leader, all about that. What got you interested in that issue and why why did you think this was worthy of a book? And by the way, I agree. I wrote the forward to the book, so I'm not I'm not <laughs> picking on you. I think it's a great idea. But why why is this such a big deal these days? Well, um, I had spent 15 years in full time ministry before coming to Bethel College, and this year will be the year where that tips where I've been a professor longer than I was in full time mm. ministry, and I don't know really how I feel about that because I just have a heart for the church and for ministry, and really sure. uh, get passionate about that. But on this side of the fence, if there is a fence, uh, you know, I was watching a lot of young leaders head out into the ministry world and and fall and run into problems and in churches and in ministries where there wasn't much help, no one knew what to say, uh, there wasn't much development, and I just had a burden for them. And I was at a conference in Nashville at the Renaissance Hotel in a lobby and voicing my frustration, and I had a friend who was a publisher who just said, hey, that, that would make a good book. I'd like to see a proposal. And that's how the whole thing started, but that was 11 years ago when I had that conversation, and it took that long for this to come out. Isn't that interesting? How long have you been a professor now? How many years? 16 years. 16, yeah. Year. yeah. That's what I was going to say. So basically, your 25-year-olds are now turning 40. And you've seen that. Like, is that – so we have a lot of young leaders listening to this, as well as a lot of seasoned leaders as well. Um, Self-awareness, is, is that an issue that you can spot even as a professor in your, like, 25-year-old student's Yes, uh, certainly. And it's also something we're trying to be proactive at instead of just teaching a class and running off to an office. Most of the people in my department do a lot of mentoring and mm -hmm. uh, uh, funnel people into uh, 
counseling and situations where they can work on issues now before they get out. But but you know the you know the reality, Carrie. You get into ministry and it presses you in ways you can't expect. And some of these things that maybe have held you back or um, been been problems you didn't know about suddenly come out right under the pressure of ministry. And then in the twenties, and I think again in the forties, we go through periods where we have to work on self awareness. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you ever get out of that. We're going to define self-awareness in a moment. But you were telling me before we went to air that, you know, you had quite the morning, technically, and I had quite the morning. And uh, I was like at the point, I said to my wife before lunch today, I'm like, I was ready to throw the phone and like smash it on the ground. (laughs) Like I was that (laughs) upset today with some stuff that was going on. And then about once a year, I get to that level where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, break something right now. I'm so frustrated. And, you know, I'm so thankful I'm working out of my home office today. Thank goodness there wasn't anyone around and I probably would (laughs) have left the office if that was the case. But, you know, like the pressures of ministry, you're not kidding. Like the pressures of life, the pressures of ministry get to you. And as I always say, you know, if you want to know where your character's at, just look at your last crisis. So I had mine a couple hours ago and I failed. Uh, you know, didn't do anything <laughs> stupid, but we're talking about that. So define define self-awareness for me. What does that look like? Yeah, so I think we need to be careful. Sometimes those of us, uh, you know, Christian leaders uh, look at self-awareness, and it's not a self-help book. And I was very clear about mm-hmm. that from the beginning. I sure. think self-awareness is an honest examination of God's work in our lives, our limits, and the Holy Spirit's gifting. And then as we look out through weaknesses, gifting, and even opportunities, we can see how we can lead forward the best. And so that's, it's this combination, this holistic thing, not just uh, strengths and weaknesses, not just all about me, but also how God's worked in my life, where he's put me, and where he wants to take me in the future. Hmm. Okay, so, uh, you know, it was, I think, John Calvin who wrote, without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. And without knowledge of self, this is the interesting part to me, there's no knowledge of God, um, which is which is a quote that's fascinated me most of my adult life. Because everybody gets, okay, without knowledge of God, you can't really know yourself. But like, without knowing yourself, you can't really know God. If Just in layman's terms, just make it really simple for us. If, what is the difference between a leader who is self-aware and a leader who is not? There's an extra level of grace and graciousness, okay. I think. And to me, that's the measuring stick. It's the soft the soft sciences of leadership, and it's what we all want, you know, and, and we don't know how to put words on it. You know, you ask for layman terms, and so we use mm-hmm. words like people problems or not a good fit or the DNA is not right. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, those are larger issues which stem from a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. uh, You know, how is this related to, because this is another passion point of mine in leadership, but, you know, I remember the first time I read Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence. It came out over 20 years ago now, mid-90s, 95, I think, was a landmark book for business. And his basic thing is that emotional intelligence is far more predictive of success in leadership and in life than IQ. You know, it used to be, oh, you got top marks, you're an A student, you know, you made uh, Dean's Honor Roll you're, you're going to be great in life. And, you know, what Daniel Goleman discovered is there's a lot of intelligent people who, who flounder, but sometimes people who maybe don't have a really high IQ have what he calls very high EQ, people skills, soft skills, self-awareness, um, and, and end up thriving a lot more in life. How is self-awareness? Is that just like a subcomponent of EI or how, how does that relate into that broader matrix? 
Yeah, and most books like this one are out of that EI book, obviously, and, and borrow a lot from it, I think. Yeah. And so we're putting it in, in some formats there. But so I think self-awareness is a part of that. But the self-awareness that um, in this book that I wrote has much more of a spiritual formative element, too, because in those moments where we encounter our, our lack or our weakness or the moments where we recognize we have an emotional issue that's uh, hindering us, then we then we can return to the Holy Spirit and ask God, to, okay, what is, how, how do I, I mean, the nice thing is God's in the restoration business, right? So it's not like we're stuck there. We have a way forward then to say, okay, I'm going to get a coach to help me work on, you know, some of these areas I may not see, or, or I'm going to find a mentor or just, you know, someone who can help me move forward. But then we also can say, okay, Lord, what does this mean for me in my life? And how can I, uh, you know, move into greater Christ likeness in this area, which I think is the ultimate goal for the book is we want to be more like Christ. You know, we all set out in Christian leadership, whether we're in the business or the church, and we say, I want to do the best that I can. Right. And then yeah. along the way, these things trip us up or pull us to the side. And that's where we need to do the, the work and the retraining, as Paul says, you know, train yourself to be godly. Well, it's personal, too. I mean, nobody sets out at their marriage to get divorced. Uh, nobody, nobody, nobody decides to be a parent only to have that relationship, you know, get mangled. And and nobody wants to be a friend only to have that friendship break up. Yet that happens every day. So let me let me ask you this: like Christian leaders, would you say Christians do a better job at self awareness than say the business world, or does business have the edge here? What what's your perception? Yeah. Uh, so this is my church bias a little bit here, and I think yeah. that business. Um, does a little better because they have a few things in place that churches or ministries don't know how to do or don't want to spend on it. So for instance, uh, checks yeah. and balances, you know, there's a, a lot of, I, I, so I did a consulting with a denomination once and they were stuck moving forward and they had no checks and balances. When there's goodwill, mm-hmm. any church structure, any ministry structure will move forward. But in a business right. where there's a bottom line measurement, they can, um, hold people accountable to that bottom line. They can help people move forward in ways that ministries, you know, it's hard to measure. It's a different language. It's, uh, it's you know, we spiritualize some things and are hesitant to talk numbers, hesitant to talk production and hours. But in my first seven years of ministry, we were measured by what we did and it was a high level of accountability and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It taught me how to to move forward in days where I'm really tired. But I think one of the things, Carrie, that um, that I think is really important is that um, the presence of HR in the business world is, uh, is something that I've just latched onto in the last year since I've been working through this book. In businesses, often there's an HR department that holds yeah. the policy and procedures. And you go to many ministries and there's often a strong leader at the top and that's the HR department. And if there's really any issues, uh, we're really not we don't really know how to work with them, you know? So I think that's one of the differences between business and ministry. And then business, you know, they want to be profitable. And I think sometimes right. in ministries, we have this, Hey, I want to get you plugged in, or I want to get you involved in ministry. And we're less interested in their development by and large. And I know that there's many ministries that are, but, um, 
just the lack of personal development in a ministry setting, I think we is something we can flip. And so I know there's ministries out there and I've been paying attention to where are the ministries that really want to harvest and raise up people and then launch them forward. And I know you have many of them on your podcast and I'm encouraged by that. And I think that's something we all could do as we look at our people and say, okay, how can we send them out to something even better? No, I think that that's a, you know, it's kind of an ironic um, twist <laughs> in these for a few minutes because you're right. You're saying, the the EI skills, the self-awareness skills are often the soft skills. Am I open to conflict? Am I open to feedback? How, how, how do you feel being on the other side of me? And yet it's actually the church often has a soft culture where there's not a lot of accountability. Business has a harder culture where there's metrics accountability like, hey, your sales are down in the last quarter. Uh, do you think it's the way you're treating people? Like you got to get better at this because we've got to improve the bottom line. So you have like a soft culture, but you've got sometimes hard people or unself-aware people in that soft culture. On the other hand, in business, you could start off being a little bit obtuse in your relationships with people. Um, but the metrics of business are going to force you forward. I think that's a really interesting observation along those ways. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I see probably a little more emotional intelligence outside the church than in it. And I hope there's a day where we have this conversation in the future where that's not true, Terry. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I, I, okay, we'll get into that a little bit more. But in your book, you talk about, am I pronouncing it right? I, I didn't even realize that what, what it was called till I read your book. But the Jahari window, is that what it's that's called? That's right. Yep. Okay, uh -huh. Jahari window. So first time I was introduced to that years ago, and it was sort of in my 30s, and it was my emotional intelligence sort of introduction, Baptism 101. And I heard it described, if you can imagine a square with four corners, and you've got confirmed strengths. Those are strengths other people see that you actually have. Unconfirmed strengths, as in you think I'm great at something and other people think I'm great at something, but I didn't realize that I was good at it. And then you have confirmed weaknesses. I know I'm bad at it and you know I'm bad at it. But then the most dangerous one, and this is where you drive a lot of your book at and the whole self-awareness EI thing, is what they call blind spots. In other words, I think I'm great, but everybody around me realizes there's an issue. And I think we can all picture someone almost immediately in our mind who's like, oh, yeah, that guy doesn't realize he can't communicate. That guy doesn't realize he's a terrible meeting leader. That guy doesn't realize he can't sing or she can't, you know, lead people well. Um, Walk us through that matrix and how it can help leaders see really how God has gifted them and what, what he wants us to work on. So the nice thing about the Jahari window is that it's non-threatening and yet it's 360. And I think one okay. of the things for self-awareness is, especially as we age, we in Christian ministry is in particular, we can get into positions where we're rather insulated and not interested. And, in, you know, we don't have as people aren't as close to us for criticism or mm. uh, and, and always having a 360 um uh, perspective from others is really helpful. So you sit down and there's adjectives that you use to describe yourself. And then other people you bring into the conversation and they have adjectives to describe you and you just put them in boxes. And so then you compare of, you know, where is it that I describe myself one way, but nobody else describes me that way. That's the facade. And in ministry, we can have that, right? We're, it's a performance thing. We can have a bad day, but walk up in front and smiles on, you know, and we have these yeah. skill sets and we can, 
you know, look amazing and yet things can be crumbling behind the scenes. But the blind spots are those adjectives where uh, other people say things about us and we didn't. So they're adjectives missing from our list, but present on others' list. And what makes it a non-threatening process to go through is that adjectives are general and yet very descriptive. So they're not like pointed criticisms, like after a sermon, you might get a note or an email. Well, you don't, but I would. And where someone would be critical <laughs> no, of the sermon. <laughs> and, you know, and they, uh, and, you know, and it just, you, know, you can get 98 good things and one bad, and you just focus on the bad. But the adjectives are more, um, they have more of a color and an aroma to them is a word I like to use. And so that, it doesn't, it doesn't pierce our heart or our mind or identity, but it says this is this is how people feel around you. And it's a very that's why it's helpful and it's easy. You know, it's not like you're taking a survey online. So you kind of tackled this a little bit already, but just to be crystal clear, how would you know if you have a blind spot? Because I'm sure there are leaders listening who are like, no, my team thinks I'm awesome. Um, and, and that may not be the case. Like and the goal is you're always going to have weaknesses, but you have to know where you're weak. Right. Like. I'm never going to be great at everything, but how does that work? How do you figure out your blind spot? If you don't have someone close to you that's speaking into your life, my opinion is, and I may be very wrong on this, that it's going to be very difficult for you to know you have blind spots. And I'll use my own story as an example. And I've heard Paul Tripp talk about this as well with his book, Courageous Calling, is I was I was in a home where we didn't express anger at all. So I've always been this kind of happy-go-lucky kind of guy that I just, uh, you know, love life. But I didn't re recognize that I also had this drive behind it. And part of that was coming out in um, – I was – more difficult to work with than I realized. I had okay. some anger issues in my 20s and I didn't know what it was from. And and though I loved God, I didn't know how to relate well to his people. And I remember once on an evangelistic trip, loudly yelling at the very guys I was trying to share Jesus with later that night. We were on a basketball court. They weren't calling fouls. And I'm embarrassed <laughs> to even tell it on this podcast. But uh, I, you know, it cost me my job, part of it, part of the reason it cost me my job then. And I had to go back to, to the drawing board and say, okay, Lord, what do I want to be like? And, and I have friends that were part of the decision to let me go and our friends today, and they would tell you it's a very different Terry now. That process was like a crucible to go through. And so sometimes, Carrie, I think we don't know, and it takes a public uh, failure of some sort to help us recognize it. And that's not a very optimistic thing. So my, my ultimate answer is that the best way to know you have blind spots is to get coaching and invite them to be just gut level honest with you. Now, I appreciate you sharing that. And thanks, thanks for being so honest about it, because I think that is what's at stake, right? Like people get fired over this and you're at your fourth church in seven years and you're like, I think it's the church. And then you look at it and you go, well, maybe it's me. Or you've burned through 20 staff members or, you know, you're on your third marriage or whatever that happens to be. And a lot of I, mean, I think we're all I want to say a lot of us. No, I think it's universal. All of us uh, don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to look in the mirror. It's just a lot easier if it's your fault. So do you need can you just find that out like individually or do you think a, a formal 360 review? And I've been through a few and they're they're painful, like. They're painful. But do you think everybody listening, if you're a leader and, you know, you're employed, you should go through a formal 360 review? 
Well, this is the point of the podcast where I can give a shameless plug for the book, perhaps. So, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, the thing I love about the Self-Aware Leader book is that it's short, it's really accessible, it's not written for a CEO-type leader at the top of a major organization. Uh, in fact, I know of a nursing group of Christians who are nurses who are working through the book right now. It's written for everyday people who are Christians who want to just work on some of these issues, and there's self-check questions in it. And it's that's what I wanted was a tool that could be used at street level. Um, it has reflection questions. You can go to my website, theselfawareleader.org. There's downloadable small groups. Uh, questions, supervisory ones. And and that to me, Carrie, that's it. You know, I'm going, how do we fix this problem? Well, we need tools that are non-threatening for people to yeah. work through. And and even then I feel like I just I worry that people get to chapter five and they're feeling beat up. And I've tried to make it an encouragement going, listen, this is because we want to do the best. We want to make it count, you know, and and I've been through this. So let's go through it together again. You know, and so uh, I think those kind of things, uh, spiritual retreat, silent solitude, you know, get unbusy. Those are helpful processes for to allow God to speak into our life about some very deep-seated issues. Now, nah, that's good. What are some common blind spots for ministry leaders? Like, what do you see again and again? What are the repeating patterns? Um, so I think that um, one of the ones that we don't talk about a lot, but is always uh, important, is to identify um, what our thirsts are. What is it we want? Um, and so the, the, I was speaking on this in South Africa once years ago and my friend Mark Tilly was watching me and, and I was telling him, I said, I was telling the people I was teaching there, I was saying, Hey, you need to pay attention to your reactions. You know, whenever you react to something, whenever you feel like your shoulder tightens or your, your eyebrow raises, or even internally, just, take an imaginary picture of that, you know? And, and he said, Terry, you're actually, you're asking him to take a reaction selfie. And so I yeah. kind of put that into book, you know, anytime you react, take a picture and then later on unpack that and say, why did I react that way? What is it that I want? You know, what is my thirst there? You know, and it can be, I mean, we're being honest in this podcast, right? And the books is honest. So, you know, if someone else is successful around you. How do you feel? Do you, do you cheer them on, or do you are you slightly jealous? Jealous, or envious, you know. Yeah. You know uh, what is it that that makes you angry? You know that was the one for me. I had to unpack why was why was I angry, and then when I feel up, why do I feel joyous? Why is it that I feel down? Those kind of things. Reaction. That's one. The second one I think is important is that our past affects our present more than we realize mm -hmm. sometimes. Our adolescent way we learned how to interact with the cool kids, for instance. Do we Are we drawn to them? Do we have to hang out with them? Do we avoid them? What about certain personality types uh, there? You know, are there some past relationships that shape, shape the present? Where are their past? I mean, this is one you've seen in helping leaders. You've run across someone and you recognize, wow, they have some deep woundedness there. They need to get help oh, with, yeah. you know. And the clarity, like Gavin Adams, I don't know, I think it was like episode 103 or something of the podcast, somewhere around the 100 mark. Gavin, um, who's a pastor of a large, large campus at North Point, like 8,000 people attend there, you know, he spent some time last summer taking time off and spent some time with a counselor and discovered a lot of his drivenness goes back in a healthy slash unhealthy way to being cut from a basketball team when he was in middle school. Like it was that crystal clear an incident. And it's like he followed the thread all the way back there. 
And there's some good things that God did with that, but there was some pain there that was driving him. And he's like unbelievably transparent about what that was doing to him in a negative way and how he was dealing with it. And I think that's really key. I'm I'm just going to ask you an answer to the level that you feel comfortable. What did you discover underneath your anger? You already mentioned your your, um, family of origin, not really handling conflict well. So I'm sure that's what I was kind of struggling with this morning. And I learned from Andy Stanley years ago in his book, Enemies of the Heart. Anger says, you owe me. And every time I'm angry, I'm like, who do I think owes me? And then do they really owe me? And so I'm processing that. And, you know, a lot of the time my anger is unjust. What what drove that for you? It's a shadow of drive. And a drive for me, uh, being a number three on Enneagram, means success. And so as long as I was being successful, um, uh, I was happy. Um, But I was in a situation where I was stuck. I was training uh, in this organization at the national office. So I had this national platform very early in life. And, um, but I was restless and I couldn't recognize it. I was immature in my own recognition of what was going on. And so the, it just came out. Anger is a very unrefined emotion, right? And so yeah. it was restlessness, yeah. deep-sided. It was a drive for success. It was this cauldron, which this, it just spewed out. And um, I had to go back to uh, leave an, I mean, Okay, we're being honest, right? Yeah. I had to leave the national platform to go back to a rural church, and I had to, in front of the throne of God, answer, am I willing to go back and serve this church for these years and nobody know about it? And I had to be able to answer yes. And it was the best seven years in pastoral ministry. I was able to go to grad school. Part of what I do now, I say, is ascending ministry of that church because they recognize what I was doing in the same way. I think Connexus has recognized that in you. And and so now I'm able to do things because that church invested in me. But I had to be willing to step off the stage for a while. Yeah, we all have stories like that. I remember in my late 30s wrestling on the ground with God and him breaking down my ambition and basically – like just getting to me. And it was very painful. I mean, I can describe it in 30 seconds now, but this was like months of wrestling where basically that desire for success, that desire, and that's before any of this stuff happened, the books or the speaking or, you know, this podcast or whatever, but he kind of broke me in, in different ways. And he's like, look, I can love you whether you pastor a church of three people in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, that is my nightmare. Like, you don't understand. That's my nightmare. And he goes, and that's why it's so important for you to realize, Carrie, that that's okay. That if I call you to that, you can be faithful there. And I mean, it was like Jacob wrestling the angel. And I feel like God touched my hip and I never walked the same way again after that. Um, but he broke me and I had no idea, you know, this was not part of a plan to do what I'm doing now. Um, but maybe in some way it was part of God's plan. And he's like, I got to make sure you're ready to handle that. And I'm, I'm still like, you know, you battle that every day. Success is a much greater test of character than failure ever is. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you can, I mean, we could just wrap that with a bow and say, that's the podcast right there. I think you're never yeah. more vulnerable than when you're successful. Yes. And, um, uh, true. Does, and does, you know, okay. the, Go ahead. Does self-awareness drop as you become more successful? Oh, I, my fear for this book is that a lot, so I wrote the book and been with it for four or five years. The manuscript has been done in various forms and I still read it and feel challenged. And I'm, I think sometimes those of us who are older and feel like we've got it all together, 
we'll not read a book like this, right? We'll we'll kind of skip over it. And yet, I, I I've been so fortunate, Carrie, to be with uh, people. This may not answer your question directly, but with older leaders in the early days. My dad's a pastor. I got to hang out with some of the leaders of World Vision, Billy Graham Association, Youth for Christ, and watch them retire and move. You know, and they kind of disappear. These were yeah. men who just made it happen <laughs> in the '60s and '70s, and yeah. and um. Their, their lives were, uh, you know, bigger vision and, and they wanted to be a part of it. And, and the one thing I was able to watch them in their retirement, I even went to a couple of their funerals and I just thought, you know, these people, the legacy of their story wasn't about success. It was about their relationships and the nurturing, mm-hmm. the nurturing of the friendships around them and the, the answer of God's call on their life. And so for me, you know, I, I think I wrote a book, if, you're, if your goal is to be big, you'll never be big enough, especially in ministry. You <laughs> You know, yeah. it's just, you won't get that extra applause. And, 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 and Ken Davis has shared openly, a Christian comedian that's very well known about his struggle with, you know, wanting the bigger applause and whatever, and having to work through, you know, some of the, the, the ambition issues. And, and, um, you know, there's a lot of large churches that were large in the seventies that are now housing insurance companies today. You know, the yeah. buildings are empty, um, and, um, they're used for other purposes. And I just think we just need to be laser focused on answering God's call in our life because that's who we're going to account to in the end. And and I think some of our bigger identity struggles are later in life, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, too, that we just have to wrestle with, you know, really? with our title and our fame is gone. You know, what's, I mean, I've worked with a lot of men in ministry who have retired in their 70s and then it's just been kind of hard. What do I do now? Because their identity was so tied up into their leadership gifting and position and, and, um, yeah. So, uh, so for me, the challenge has always been, I'm going to dig into community and embrace it and draw closer to it in these days rather than try to, to distance myself from it. So how do you do that? I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody listening who, who would say, I want to invest my identity in what I do. Right. Cause, and for a lot of us, that's right. Like there's nobody going around going, I am my social media profile. I am the size of my congregation. And yet we all, we all get suckered into that. And I ask myself that question. That's part of my prayer life on a regular, like what if all the listeners, what if all the readers, you know, go away? Cause you write a post that takes off and a hundred thousand people share it. And I mean, that does something to you. Or you hit a million or two million or whatever and listeners or downloads or whatever, that does something to you. And you say, that's not my identity. That's not who I am. One day nobody will listen. One day nobody will read. Those are the things I tell myself. Those are the things I pray about. But how do you stop? Your, and this is true. I mean, if you got 100 people at your church, you used to have 50. Now you're like, woo, you know, if you, if you have 1,000, you used to have 100. You know, if you, if you used to be the vice president, now you're the president. If you used to be, you know, at Starbucks, now you're the shift manager. Whatever it is, we all, how do you stop that from being who you are? Because, I mean, that's just, I don't know whether I'm just lying to myself. Doctor. I'm sitting here thinking I don't. <laughs> I don't even thank you. I don't even know if uh, I have a good answer to that. I know in yeah. my own life that it's I physically have to act out acts of service. Um, so I, 
uh, in the last couple of weeks, our college has been at the end of its budget for the year. So I've been helping out with maintenance on the on the on the college. I'm a department chair, and I just feel like I can do that to help out, you know. And and, I, and there's not an ounce of regret in that. I enjoy it. This, the people in the physical plant are, are some of my best friends on campus. Um, so I think acting out service. I think reading some of the old desert fathers and the old people that you know the the separatists in our theological heritage, like St. Anthony and Athanasius and all those, those are helpful to be reminded of that we are in a battle with worldly values, you know, and we do have to recognize that, that, that the leadership has a subtle temptation right behind the success of, you know, more and more. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, you want to talk about self-awareness or reactions, you know, for me, when my insecurities kick in and I realize, you know, Everybody said, hey, I'm reading the book. And then for three weeks, I don't hear anything from them. I think, oh, they hate the book, you know, and they're not <laughs> telling me and all that. And the reality is that it may be something very different. And um, and I just, uh, you know, I have to recognize that that their approval doesn't, you know, negate the fact that I was being obedient and writing the book and following God's leading through that process. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very hard thing. And I don't know that I have a neat and clean answer to it because we certainly regularly see the struggles with it in Christian leadership. Well, I'm kind of hoping that the battle is in the struggle. You know, you talk about blind spots and self-awareness. I would say I'm at the point where I'm aware that this is a very real possibility that I'm struggling against it. And that there will be a day where nobody reads, nobody listens, nobody calls, right? Nobody asks. And and, and Jesus still loves you and uh, you're still his beloved. And, you know, and I wonder if relationships are part of that, too. Um, we had friends over. They messaged us on Saturday, Sunday after church. They came over. We've known them for, you know over 20 years. And we're on the back porch just laughing until I was literally crying. And it's those kinds of relationships are just so grounding and so fresh, and mm-hmm. so real. Yeah. Do you think relationships play a part in that too, and they staying do. close to people you've known a long time? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, we're in a family group. Uh, it's been one of those small groups that went the three or four years the church had a small group ministry, and we kept meeting, and we still meet every other Friday night. We've been doing it for 15 years now, and um, it's an amazing time. And, and so when opportunities come along and people say, Hey, would you be interested in, you know, this, like another ministry or or another university or something? Uh, it's easy for me to say no, because that group has kept me here as much as anything else, you know, because the relationships matter so much. See, I think, I think that's really good. And, and I mean, I just think everybody struggles with this to a certain extent and to be aware that this is a struggle is, well, that's at least a step in the right direction which is good. I guess it's the guy or the woman who doesn't see it coming. The the leader who's like, uh, isn't even aware that that's an issue or number two thinks, no, nah, that's not me at all. That's, that's probably where the danger is maybe. No, you're absolutely right. And think of the kind of personalities that we're drawn to, you know, the thoroughbreds yeah. of ministry. They're, if right. I can use the Enneagram, you know, if you're familiar with that, they're the, the, the threes, the eights, the ones, the sevens. And there's an individualistic ad- aspect to all four of those. But those are the people that, that are on, on up front. They're the ones that do the podcasts that do, you know, to make this happen. And so that's us, right? And so we need to intentionally actually say, okay, the, I, for the betterment of who I am, 
uh, I need to be in close community with people uh, as as often as I can and pursue that. I think it's a healthy it's a healthy buffer for a lot of things in life. Yeah, and social just probably elevates that too, right? Because we didn't know twenty years ago, forty years ago, we had no idea who who was doing great, right? You had to order a CD or or whatever, and now everybody's on your phone every day and you can see how awesome this guy's sermon was compared to yours or uh, how, how much movement there is in people's lives. And of course, we always post our best selves to our online profiles, not our worst. Although I did do morning hair a little while ago. I woke up, had like the worst hair in a hotel. I threw it on my Instagram stories. I got, I got messages from people who are like, thanks for that. Yeah. Um, they didn't really mean it though. They were just saying, thanks, like sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they probably were. Okay. What about yeah. – um, Well, let me, let ahead, me jump in ahead. right there. Yeah, because I think what you just said is worth repeating uh, again. Um, you know, you think of successful people in life. We're talking about success. And that actually – the reason is that ambition and success are right there with leadership. They're mm-hmm. things we have to work on. They're in our blind spots. So we're just going to name it tonight, all right? So this thing. So, um, you know, when you think about this – um, success issue. You know, if I'm a surgeon and I'm successful and I'd like people in the hospital to know that I'm that, but I don't need people in other hospitals across the country to know that or in the South or whatever. There's something in Christian leadership embedded now where we don't necessarily just want to be a good, in this case, like pastor at a church, but we want other people and other churches to recognize that we're doing a good job. And in the larger community and that social media has given us this platform for fame that just tempts us to go, hey, if your church is struggling, you can get some pats on the back from here and there and make it look bigger and better than it is. And and I think that is something that social media has dangled in front of us, that there's a larger audience out there. And, um, you know, as a turning point for me in, in church ministry, when I realized that one night, I remember it clearly, uh, I was more interested and concerned about why people weren't there. Uh, and this was a youth group, uh, to, than the 60 kids that I had in the room. You know, yep. I had this great high school group there, and yet my preoccupation was, why aren't these other 60 here? You know, and yeah, um, yeah. So being faithful you, in the moment. Yeah. Do you see that comparison game and that desire for platform or notoriety or fame growing in the student body over the last decade? I mean, you've been at this 16 years. Do you, yeah. do you see that shift? <laughs> I, I think it's less than it was uh, in the, in when we like so I did a lot of work with youth specialties in the early days in the National Youth Workers Convention yeah and it felt like in the in the 90s and 80s you'd come and it was a competition for who had the largest youth group and you know all this stuff and the posturing and one of the benefits of the social media world and I think where we are is there's been a flattening there's an open source feel to it now there's not as much of a celebrity hierarchy at least in in certain circles um, that I that than there used to be, and so I don't sense it as much in students. But I wouldn't say that necessarily um, I have a firm grasp on uh, whether it exists or not. But I feel like at the National Youth Workers Convention, there's less of a a fame game going on than there used to be. Well, that's good to know. That's yeah. really good to know. That's a refreshing change. One of the questions I get from a lot of young leaders and even you know listeners is they're like, what were you doing to like grow your platform at 30? I'm like, I didn't even know what a platform was. I had no idea. I was serving two miles down the road from where I am now, trying to figure out how six people could reach a community. You know, that's what I was busy doing when I was 30 years old. So 
Um, you quote Robert Mulholland in the book. He says, we're either being shaped into the image of Christ or into a horrible caricature of that image. Reminded me a little bit of Gandhi's quote that said, I like your Christ. It's just I don't like your Christians. How, how much of uh, a lot of the hostility directed toward Western Christians today do you think might be due to a lack of self-awareness or emotional intelligence? Um, quite a bit. I think it's uh, yeah. 50-50 with uh, bad theology, too, and a bad, uh, a poor <laughs> image of who Jesus is to the world. Um, mm. you know, we were just talking about the last night in a leadership class, the woman who anointed Jesus's feet, and she was uncovered. She was a sinner, the Bible describes her, likely a prostitute. And um, she was anointed with perfume, which if you read some commentaries, that was part of the tools of her trade, right? So it was a very mm. uncomfortable. Any of us with any sort of religious uh, bone in our body would just be sitting there going, that is making Jesus look so un cool, not right. I mean, it would just be very uncomfortable. It is sexual. Us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we, but it's so uh, difficult for us to say, but that's exactly why everybody was repulsed in the scene. I mean, Jesus looking at the, the woman caught in adultery, uh, you know, there in the dust and saying, where are your accusers? None. Well, neither do I condemn you. I just think this lack of emotional intelligence you talk about combined with a, this a, a misunderstanding sometimes of Jesus's redemptive grace plays out on Facebook so often, which is usually right now. And people yeah. just go, if if that's the difference Jesus makes, you look like everybody else, what's the difference? You know, where's the love? Right. You know? I mean, so it's I, that lack of grace. Well, yeah. And I mean, think one of the things in Scripture we miss when we think about the Apostle Paul is that this whole self-awareness isn't for us, right? He, he writes for Christ's love compels us. You know, the idea that Paul, who's a hard-driving guy, we think, you know, the best we can interpret it, still says, I'm compelled because of love, you know? And so when I'm working on my self-awareness, it's not just so that you'll like me better. It's also so that I am better at Christian leadership. I'm better because I want to be better for my people as a shepherd, as a manager, as whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, I'm being compelled out of love. And if I love, then that means... I lay down my life for someone else. And so that means when I encounter the hard stuff about me, out of love for Christ, out of love for you, I'll work on the hard stuff that's going on with me out of humility to lay down my life so that I'm a better Christian leader in whatever God's called me to do. Okay, so let's go there. Um, How much of a leader's, like ultimately, how much of a leader's effectiveness and impact do you think is linked to EI or self-awareness? Well, this goes back to a couple of people. I'll point to Joe Stoll in uh, mm-hmm. his book on leadership and then um, Paul Tripp with Courageous yeah. Calling. Both would say in there, and I think I quote Stoll in the book, that rarely does he see a leader fail because of skills. It's often because of issues of personhood. And that's also code for a lack of self-awareness. Right. Uh, I would say that um, fit, and overcoming people problems is more important today than ever in our open source world where we're not interested in hierarchy as much. And so, you know, even in my last hire where I hired somebody, I had in the job description there, your reputation, I think it was worded a little better from HR than this, but essentially it said, your reputation is that you're easy to work with. Because for us and our DNA of our department, uh, getting along well and laughing in the hallway was part of what we wanted to do. And we didn't want a a person who was difficult. And in academics, 
you can get people who are so entrenched in their discipline that they're, they can be difficult. And we didn't want that. Hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about emotions. You have a whole chapter in the book on emotions. So it's a huge part of leadership. I mean, even if you don't consider yourself an emotional person, you're dealing with your reactions, responses, and emotions every day. Um, what are some key emotions you identify a few in the book that leaders have to deal with and you just confront over and over again? I think the uh, issue that I said before that we uh, need to identify what gives us joy. Uh, we don't, I often start there and we had some debate with the editor of whether joy was an emotion or not, <laughs> but you know what, what, I mean, let's be, what makes you, what gets you pumped? You know, that is a key thing to think about. I mean, I started out in an evangelistic ministry. I'm still an evangelist at heart. I, in fact, um, the, the, I was on the bike ride when you were talking to Ravi Zacharias and mm. I was listening to that podcast and I just knew this is the guy that I was asked first to be uh, writing the forward for the book because you just had this heart for evangelism. I heard that and it just resonated with me. It got me excited. I almost wrecked. And I remember the exact point in the bike ride. And I still, when I go by there, I think this is where I knew it because that, that's, what gives, that's what gives me joy. On the opposite, I think uh, another one is fear. And I think we're more fearful than we want to admit. And um, yep. fear drives a lot of cover up. Fear drives a lot of action and identifying that. It's really important. And then third, anxiety it, for teenagers, it's the number one disorder. I would say that we're becoming more anxious. Our diet is uh, helping us become more anxious. And um, Sorry, say again, your diet? How, how, yeah, so, how just bad eating? The sugar and we're, oh, we're yeah. pumped up. The caffeine. I've had to watch my coffee intake a little bit, and just it just gives us a feeling of anxiety. But you know, you think of twenty four seven news channels now. They're always trying to create some sort of fear response, and and so anxiety is is causing some of these sharp reactions. I think with others, and then I mentioned earlier. I think anger is one that always comes up because it's the shadow side of drive. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's just going to be a cousin. You're always going to have to work on it. If you feel blocked, you know, you get angry when you feel blocked for something and uh, you're impeding my progress here. So, you know, honk the horn. And that's true because I think drive is based in discontent, right? You're not happy. You're not. And, and some of that is really godly. Like you shouldn't be happy with the world. You shouldn't be happy with you know, some of the problems that people are going through. On the other hand, the shadow side of that is just is anger. And I, I think that's a really good point. Well, and there, you know, and anger can be positive too. When you think of yeah. uh, anger in the old, in the New Testament, and Old Testament, it wasn't that uh, if you're angry, it's when you're angry, don't sin. You will be angry. There's some things worth being angry about. Martin Luther King channeled his angry into mm -hmm. anger into a redemptive, you know world-changing process. You know, there are some things we need to be upset about. So I think the danger then, uh, you know, when we talk about anger is to say, well, I shouldn't ever be angry. Well, the reality is you will be, and, and it needs to be sometimes uh, channeled towards justified means, you know? Yeah. Some of my great anger in a righteous way has, has fueled some great breakthroughs in my life, mm -hmm. in relationships and ministry and leadership. It's like, you're so, and you know, you think about that even innovation and invention, a lot of people, they're just like, I can't believe this doesn't exist. This is so stupid. Somebody should create it. And boom, they create it. And next thing you know, you know, 
makes a dent in the universe, whatever. Well, I, I mean, the book came out of, I remember a guy named Drew going out to his first ministry in the church and he had some issues and the church didn't help him as a large church. And they just decided to dispose of him and get someone else that was a better fit. And it took him a few mm-hmm. years to be able to, to get that righted. And I just thought, oh, if they would only, you know, jumped in and coached him and helped him, uh, you know, be restored in some ways, not that he had failed. He just, didn't know how to do some things and it didn't work out. And it, that kind of got me upset and it got the process started. Hmm. Uh, you also talk about conflict, which is something that every leader has to deal with. Um, um, when lead- leaders handle it poorly, what do they do? And what do leaders who handle it well end up doing by comparison? So conflict, poor handling, great handling of it. Yeah, so I think the first thing that we do handle it poorly is we run right to the middle of the situation. And okay. a phrase that I use is work in from the edges of the puzzle. And I'm and it's been the best phrase I've ever learned. It saved me from so much trouble through the years. That when I have an issue arise, I just, you know, I want to ride into town and fix it right away. And mm-hmm. yet I may not have it framed right. And when you do a puzzle, right. you, you get all the framework. And so it it also helps to do the second thing I think that is often um, done poorly is that we don't diffuse the emotion before we deal with it. And there's a process where sometimes sleeping on things at night, two, three, and, and letting it, letting the emotions just fade. Uh, Kelly and I have learned that in our marriage that we don't have, we don't have to argue about stuff at 1030 at night when we're really tired. We can just sleep on it and deal with it. And often in the morning we realize it's a very small problem. But I think those are the first two things is that we just try to run to the middle and fix it before we um, really know what's going on. And often I found in my situation that when I frame it, I realize I didn't have it all figured out. And I would have actually damaged some things if I tried to run right to the middle. And again, that's self-awareness, right? I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm emotional. You know, nothing good happens when I'm emotional. I know that. And so if you can sit on it for a little while, that, that can be a really good thing. Hey, there's a lot more in the book. And I mean, we barely touched on this subject, but anything else before we wrap up that you want to share about self-awareness, Terry? Well, I think the book is not, I, I mean, this my, my heartbeat is for for effectiveness. And I end the book with this phrase, make it count. You know, we've been given this short life to live. When death entered the world, it meant that we just have a small moment. I remember Chuck Swindoll early on saying a phrase he got from someone else. He says, life's like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. And so two things is I want to spend my life well, you know, and I think if that's the goal, then let's do it well, like a runner, you know, let's train ourselves in such a way instead. Of, and so I don't want the book to feel like a negative in spots. And I know it's strong in some areas, but it's encouraging in others to make it count, to be enthusiastic, you know, to be effective in what we do. And, and let's really run the race that's set before us as best as we can. Well, I see it. I see it as incredibly positive, the whole subject of self-awareness. I mean, do you want to spend every decade of your adult life making the same mistakes over and over again (laughs) with consequences getting worse? Or do you want to have a little bit of pain right now, a little bit of humility right now? And then do you want to see progress? I mean, I'm addicted to progress. I, I want to see a happy team moving forward. I want to live my life out with my wife and with my kids in rich relationships with each other. And, and I want God to use me. I want him to soften the hard edges and to, you know, um, make strong what needs to be made strong. 
And I don't get that right on my own. So I think it's a tremendous gift. I'm so glad you've written on it. Terry, people are going to want to track with you personally, and they're going to find out uh, more about the book. Where can they do that online? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, yeah, my website's terrylinhart.com, and then I have a uh, page they can get to with resources related to the book at theselfawareleader.org. Those are the two best places to Great. connect with me. And that's L-I-N-H-A-R-T, Linhart. Yeah. Okay. Terry, thanks Thanks. so much for being a guest today. Thanks, Kerry. Yeah, I just need to keep being more and more self-aware. I, I, I know that's something that's so helpful for me. I hope that really helped you too. You can get everything in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 147, where you can find everything there. Hey, we are back next week talking about an issue that actually is fascinating, which is the most important position on your staff. Do you know that's changed in the last decade? And to talk with us about it is a guy that many of you will know if you're in the orange world or the next generation world, you know the name Jim Weidman. And Jim's my guest next week because we talk about how hard it is to staff your church with great next generation team members. Listen in. Yeah. One thing that I like to do when we do make that hire, yeah, I like to do a one page right path on everyone they'll be working with. Oh, that's great. So that before they go to meetings on those first 90 days and all that stuff, they can glance at who they're going to meet with, how to communicate with them. And I even try to help them succeed in uh, understanding that first 90 days and what, what to do in those areas. So that's next week on the podcast. Again, subscribers, it automatically shows up on your device every Tuesday. And we're going to be uh, rocking some bonus episodes this summer too. So uh, subscribers, you get that free automatically. And you can subscribe wherever you happen to get your podcast. So we're back next Tuesday. Thanks again to the Unstuck Group. And thank you to trainedup.church. Make sure you get your free church lifecycle assessment at theunstuckchurch.com. And remember, your volunteers need to be in top form in just a few months, so visit trainedup.church for that. We will talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.